Hello and welcome to the Real Film Podcast. My name is Phil. My name is Corey. And we're back after a while. We've been gone for a little while. Uh, life's been in the way. We've both moved, uh, amongst other things, new jobs. Both new jobs and both moved. New jobs, new places, yeah. new faces. Yeah, but we're still the fucking sickest cats on the street. Oh, baby. <laughs> in that time, there has been uh, a lot of films. So we're going to do the review show presented by Real. Yay. Yay. Insert clapping noises. There's going to be no clapping noises. <laughs> Maybe we should get a live audience, but just have like, because we're quite a small production, just have like two people sat next to us just going, Yay. Just have me and you. <laughs> just have our partners just sat there clapping yeah, for us. I'm sure they, they would love that. Yeah, neither of them like film that much. So, uh, <laughs> um, But yeah, so let's just talk about the films that we've watched in that time. And a bit of TV as well, because it's been some really good TV. So I know the first thing we both wanted to talk about, and this does sound like we're going back away, but... You know, we do have a lot to catch up on, and this has been a highlight of 2022 so far, I think, is The Northman. So we went to go and see that together, actually. Um, first film we went to go and see in a while. What did you think of The Northman? Like, what, what were you expecting going into it? Um, yeah, I, I loved The Northman. I think when I was going into it, I think there's an expectation with Robert Eggers. I know, I know he kind of falls under that bracket now of modern horror filmmakers northman isn't necessarily a horror really um but like him ariasta jordan peele those people there's high expectation now and although i was when when we came out i do remember i thought this is again up there this is top tier as time's gone on and look it's been a while since we've watched it now mm. but i think maybe i'm starting to judge it now just because of how like little it stayed with me sort mm. of like I, I remember being in the cinema and it's a very cinematic experience this it's got this great like honesty to it and how it portrays sort of like the viking and stuff mm. like that and it, you i can guarantee there probably isn't another filmmaker out there who would make a film like the northman mm -hmm. no it's fantastic but i'd probably just say kind of just comes with it you know time really i think films come and go and yeah. this one feels like it's come and is going a lot quicker than maybe Robert other Robert Eggers films have. Um, but I will say when we watched it, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I still I still think it is phenomenal, but I think the re potentially the reason why it war it isn't staying with us because I agree I'm on the same page as you. I like I teetered between like when I first came out, I was pretty awestruck, but um, I sort of teetered between a four and a five star when first watching it, and I think I've settled on a four now. And I think the reason why. Um, is things like, I know you shouldn't really compare the film to, to everything else they've done, but when you do compare it to something like The Lighthouse or The Vavitch, um, the Vavitch. <laughs> something like that, they both do something that is very unique to their genre. Mm -hmm. And The Northman is just incredibly well-crafted, but it doesn't do anything unique. Do you know what I mean? It's It doesn't do anything which makes it stand out um, the way that something like the Witch or The Lighthouse does. Um, I mean, people are still talking about those films now. I mean, he's done other films as well, but those are the two people still talk about those films today because of how much they came out. I'm like, Jesus Christ, do you, that bit, this bit, that bit. And in The Northman, I don't think you come out and go, wow, this bit, this bit. You go, wow, that was really well done and that was really well done. But you don't go, wow, that was shocking and I've yeah. never seen anything like that. Yeah, I think now when I think back, I, the scene in which, so obviously... 
uh, Alexander Skarsgård um, is the main character, but him as a youngster mm-hmm. right at the beginning mm-hmm. when Ethan Hawke is obviously his father and they have that sort of like rite of passage ceremony yeah, yeah, yeah. with like the, where they like bark at each other and yeah, stuff yeah. like 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 the hounds. Um, I think that's a great sort of, it's not the opening, but it's a great start because yeah, yeah, it really yeah. sets the tone of what Robert Eggers is trying to achieve. It's, mm-hmm. it's a film that I don't know in terms of like historically or whatever, you know, I don't know if it's accurate, but it certainly feels like it's got a really strong connection yeah, yeah, yeah. to like the time and the characters that it's betraying. Yeah. So I think it's unique. It's wholly unique in that respect. But I think, yeah, when you compare it maybe to Eggers' other films, I probably wouldn't say it sticks with you as much mm. as, say, the Vivovich does. <laughs> um, but no, I think everyone's great in it. Anya Taylor-Joy is just killing it in terms of, like, the film she's been in the past few years. She, Absolute, really, she really is great. Yeah, she's astounding. Nicole Kidman is great as well. I mean, she's a fantastic actress. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone can deny that. Um, but again, it comes down to sort of where you stand with the director in his films. I'm not going to say, when I say I think it's his worst film, that makes it sound like I dislike it. But you would never say that because the guy has made fantastic films all the way through his career. It's like a less good film. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) basically, yeah. You know, yeah, it's still top. Arguably, I would say it's probably and still in my like top five, top 10 echelon of like 2022. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Easy. You know, like... I don't know if that's a reflection on the year, but we aren't finished with it. I yeah. think there's been some fantastic films this year. There's also been some that suck. But <laughs> no, The Northman was fantastic for me. Definitely, yeah, yeah, I agree. And just something that, you know, I want to touch on as well is is how impactful the score is in this. Yes. I mean, there's many moments you can pick out in which the score is just like the, the, the whole thing of it being, you know, this epic Viking tale it feel I said to you after we came out actually that it felt like I happened to be reading a book that was talking a lot about Viking tales at the time, yeah. and it feels like a classic Viking tale just with less incest and stuff like that because yeah. most classic Viking tales are fucked up, they're yeah. messed yeah. up. But um, I mean, it, it almost has a little bit of incest in there, but yeah. nearly, 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 nearly. But, it teased um, it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there is like a um, like this grandiose epic score, and especially like it, the whole thing feels really swelling, like like the the narrative of itself is building and building and building and mm-hmm. the score yeah. mirrors that I think and I mean mm-hmm. we don't want to spoil the ending but things happen at the end and the last shot I just remember being like like you're fucking blown back in your seat because the score is just like yeah. G4 slapping you back in your seat yeah. and it's just like this like an indescribable mm-hmm. effect seeing it in the cinema just absolutely yeah. blowing, blowing you away yeah I do think like this is where it comes back to saying how like deep rooted it feels is that the music, everything, the writing, the production design, it's just wonderful. Like it feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. so attached to the story it's telling. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. why the film it is better than yeah. say like if you made a Viking movie like 20 years ago in like Hollywood, it'd be crap probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm... Like, I, here's me saying that it's his worst film, but let's be honest, it's still fantastic. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know... Give it another year if I rewatch it. I mean, it would be like I might change my mind. Who knows? I think I was going to say. I think it might be one of those on rewatch will cement it for you. I think. I think it is a film that deserves a rewatch because yeah. I think you do know where the tale is going. Mm. I don't think there's any 
twists or I mean there's things in it that get revealed but I don't think it's necessarily played in a way where it's like oh my god you didn't see this coming as I say it feels like an epic tale yeah from olden times which you've been told a million times before so I feel like you see a lot of this stuff coming but that doesn't mean it's bad I just feel like maybe on reflection there's lots of things that will settle better. There might be things to settle worse. I don't know. But I think it's a film that is definitely worth re-watching after some time. Yeah, definitely. I think, look, like I said, it's been a it's been a long year as well. Yeah. <laughs> so um my sort of uh like review or, you know, my opinion now, it it will always alter and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But let's talk about the big boys. Yeah. The big boys. Marvel! Marvel! Marvel. <laughs> a lot of TV shows that they've released over the past couple of years, but we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about their two films that they've released uh, so far. So is there another Is there films? another one coming I out this year? No idea. I, just, I, I said to you that I will just say this now. I'm I'm very burnt out with Marvel. Yeah. I got midway through Miss Marvel, which is one of their recent TV shows. And not that I think it's bad. It's just got to the point where I'm just, I can't watch it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I saw all yeah. the films. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've watched, I mean, this year, because I hadn't watched any of the TV shows. I hadn't even watched WandaVision, which yeah, obviously yeah. is now like two years old. Yeah. Um, that's a fantastic TV show, but they're not all great. But, you know, let's talk about the films then. Mm-hmm. So let's start with um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. In the Multiverse of Madness. In the Multiverse of if Madness. There's, if, there's, if there's a name that didn't live up to his promise, yeah. it's this. It's much so. I like Multiverse of Madness. And with Raimi attached as director, Sam yeah. Raimi, you know, this is the guy who did the original Spider-Man trilogy. And then, you know, previous to that, he did The the Evil Dead and just all yeah, sorts yeah. of incredible. He's an incredible director. I think he did a really, really good job. Much like when we talk about um, the most recent Thor film, when Taika Waititi did um, Thor Ragnarok, I think he did the same thing. It's still being very clearly a Marvel film, yeah. but there's a lot of his style yeah. and his character. And you don't feel like anyone else could have done that film but him. Yeah. Um, that being said, I expected really crazy going through the multiverse. Like there's one scene in it where you go through about seven different, yeah. six or seven different sort of multiverses in, or universes in one. But it's more like a montage and it's yeah. kind of cool, but like you really spend your time in two of the universes, maybe three. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. it's just like, I don't know, the scene, the stuff in it that is so creative and so fun, but when it's like the multiverse of madness, you think it's going to be crazy. And a lot of it is actually quite, uh, I mean, in reality, it's Wanda's film. Yeah, it is. You know, it should be... She's the best part of that. Wanda in the Multiverse of Madness because it's not Doctor Strange's film, it's Wanda's. And she has this really great arc. I mean, it does feel a little bit like stepping on familiar ground because if you've seen WandaVision, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of her dealing with loss, dealing with death, coming to terms with all of that. It's a different way, I guess, to WandaVision, but I mean... Yeah, it's kind of, you know, where she was in WandaVision in terms of, you know down that rabbit hole of like self-delusion and it's a lot like darker it's a lot darker, I, I mean one yeah. vision in reality when you find out what is all happening is pretty dark but yeah. this stuff is really messed up yeah and I think that's because of Raimi I yes think, yeah. I, I know I, look Marvel will always have a formula um, yeah yeah you can't and like you said it's nice to see directors come in kind of stamp their own um trademarks and stuff on there I think Raimi's sort of 
connection to that sort of like 80s horror sort of b-movie horror is yeah, yeah. it does shine through in elements but then again you know he's working with probably what is like a 250 million budget i don't know yeah, yeah, i don't know yeah. the budget exactly but probably um, some point around 200 yeah, million yeah probably, i mean there's yeah. moments in this where it's like there's there's shots in this that remind you so much of evil dead yeah, like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. when um uh, obviously rachel mcadams is in this is uh his ex christine is that right yeah yeah um and uh there's a scene where these like ghouls come out and start like trying to attack them but it's from the perspective of the ghouls and yeah, it's like yeah. really up in her face and stuff like I that i thought that was when sorry to, it, it, i thought i was on wonder when i think it, they do it, it on it, wonder as well. she's oh, kind maybe, of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like this isn't very good yeah, podcast sorry, I'm, doing, yeah. I'm doing an action of wonder how wonder reacts it's not a very good podcast but yeah i think that's but I, there's definitely stuff with christine that's like that too yeah. when they're in that facility in her because because there's two different versions of christine you have christine yes. in you know our you know quote unquote our universe and then another universe in which yeah um she's in um and there's some horrifying stuff in that one too yeah i um, think yeah yeah i mean th there is stuff that reminds you that is really nice i don't think Raimi like probably most directors who deal with Marvel um, is that he probably doesn't get to like stretch his di directorial legs as yeah, much yeah. as he probably wants to. I did like the film. I The reason I probably liked it when I watched it is because I watched it before um, everything, everywhere, uh, all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you've watched that, you realise how to make a multiverse film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is, like, you're right, it doesn't live up to its name. I thought it was entertaining. I, yeah. I still am a Marvel fan, so the stuff... Uh, when he goes into the universes and he sees like different people like nods to certain things and then there's also like future progression for the series and mm -hmm. stuff like that I I'm okay with it as long as they do something with it and it yeah. was it was good um, I had a good time watching it I do just think yeah it's it is getting to that point where Marvel films are just yeah they're like fine and it's nice to have a director be this have have a bit of creative control because there's certain points in the MCU history and which really dipped for me because they are just so bland and it's nice to have something like this it isn't perfect it isn't the best Marvel film I think probably even the first Doctor Strange film is better yeah yeah but it's nice to see something a little bit different and like there's aspects in it that are like as we say it's a horror film but there's lots of aspects in it that are like comedy horror too which I think Raimi does so well yeah. you know and I don't think there's anything like like talking about the Spider-Man films in Spider-Man 2 the scene in which Doc Ock's arms mm. come to life and yes. kill all of the doctors trying to cut the um, apparatus off his back that is just straight up like 80s horror 70s 80s yeah. horror there isn't anything quite that good but there is some stuff that I think is really, really fun in it. I think uh, Doctor Strange is good and I, I really enjoyed watching it. But I would say if you're going to watch a film this year that's about the Moeverse, obviously. Go Everything watch. everywhere, yeah. Of course. It's it's so good. So talking about the other film they released this year, which mm. is Thor Love and Thunder, which yeah. is a sequel to Thor Ragnarok, which I mentioned earlier. It's directed by Taika Waititi again. Um, you know, you talk about a uh, director putting their stamp on it. Again, I think this is another film that's very much like no one but Taika Waititi could have done that. this. But I actually think this one is to its detriment. I think potentially, yeah. I don't know if they gave him too much freedom or they gave him freedom in the wrong way. I don't know. I liked Love and Thunder, but God, it is a complete mess. The whole yeah. film is just an absolute clusterfuck of... Uh, like tonality of humor narrative and yeah i said to you before we started that i heard that apparently the original car 
was four hours long and almost all of Gore's scenes, Gore's the villain in this played by Christian Bale, almost all of his scenes were cut. And it feels like that. Because like you were saying, it just rushes at the start to tell yeah. you who Gore is. Yeah, and then, well, there's your villain. Mm. And then you're on like this sort of, you know, the same thing that Ragnarok did. It's this sort of 80s fueled comedy action film. And I don't know, it's really funny. I think it's really funny. Yeah. Not as funny as Ragnarok. There's moments in it that I was laughing aloud a lot. And there's moments where I didn't crack a smile that I was definitely supposed to. Uh, it's just sort of, as I say, I think every, no, no, there's no consistent thing throughout that I think's great. Even most of the performances are very, very iffy. Yeah. Sometimes really good, sometimes not. I think the only person who's actually really got a consistent performance is Christian Bale. Yeah. But I think collectively he has about 45 seconds of screen time. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did, it is a bit of a hit in this film, isn't it? I mean, I think they work, they know, they realise, and look, I, I really like Ragnarok. And this is not like a, it's nothing against Ragnarok. In fact, it works in its favour. I think people like Ragnarok because of how much it changed Thor, like the tone of Thor. Mm -hmm. And people realise, wow, Thor is actually a funny character. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's, he's more than just the sort of stoic one-liners that sort of, just because he's from a different world. That that was basically his humour before this. Mm -hmm. And then obviously uh, Taika Waititi did Ragnarok and it worked and it was fantastic. They've obviously seen what works with that and they've just tried to, up the ante so much yeah. and it's just in like in t like you're right tonally it's all over the place like and also marvel now it's hard to watch a film with a just where a villain is just there for one film mm. because you know they're not going to be a good villain mm -hmm. you what we've seen now with like thanos and loki at the start of this and then uh, hopefully what they do with this kang yeah. is that they create like a villain with a bit of depth and Gore, like I said, maybe, yeah, a lot of the stuff with Gore was cut, but that whole thing at the start where it basically just tells you what happened to him, why he's trying to kill gods. Now, enjoy the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, I guess it's right. we're here. It, it feels like so much, like I think uh, one of my friends even said that um, it, it should have been like an eight or 10 episode miniseries. Yeah. Because there's so much going on. They've crammed so much in that it just it's bursting at the seams from characters from narratives from just everything yeah. they it just you don't get time for anything yeah. the only i think the only person who gets enough time to do anything is thor yeah. you know you cuz you know i don't think it's a spoiler saying jane foster's in this because no, she's all not. over the fucking advertising yeah. but she's in it playing mighty thor um you've got valkyrie um just slightly wasted in this again just, I think Tessa Thompson's so good she, and she's, she's a good character and yeah she's, just she's so wasted. wasted I even think Jane Foster's wasted in this because you have this thing of her having cancer mm. and like she becomes the mighty Thor and that's basically the only thing that's keeping her going I, what does their character do other than that no you know there's this joke that like I think the funniest joke in the whole thing is the hammer and Thor's axe. <laughs> yeah. That is like, it's all like, oh, my ex and my new partner and stuff like that. And that stuff is really funny. I really, I, I found that absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's just such a messy well, film. Like we haven't done this yet. I know you mentioned with Northman that you gave it probably set at a four star, which I, I agree. So. With Doctor Strange now and Thor then, so what did you give Doctor Strange? I gave Doctor Strange a four. I think I'd probably give it a three now. Yeah. 
Um, but it's not really much point retconning reviews. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but, it's not. It's just interesting to know where we kind of like stand. Yeah, and I, 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 I would agree. I at the time I really enjoyed it, but I'd probably say it's probably a three. Yeah, I, I came out of Doctor Strange thinking I really enjoyed that. I loved all the same Sam Raimi bits about it, and then a week later I'd forgotten about it. But I'd already written the review by that point. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. And, and Thor, I gave a three. I don't think I'd give it lower because I had a good time. Yeah, it entertained me. If it wasn't funny, if the humour was less consistent, well, I mean, it's not even consistent, but if, it, if, the, if the bits that made me laugh didn't make me laugh, it'd definitely be a two. Yeah, well, yeah, it certainly has humour, I think. And I think Marvel, Marvel's formula and the people, the individuals they get to make the films, it's hard to say that... I know there's a few of the Marvel films that you consider to be bad films. Mm. Um for me, oh, I don't like Iron Man 2 and then there's Thor 2 as well. Which yeah, is God, absolutely crap. abysmal. Um, um, and then there's also the second Avengers, Age of Ultron. I yeah, think that's, that's very not good very either. Good. Yeah. But like, I think they're very consistent, aren't they? Like, yes. Some of them are great, some of them are just a bit meh, but they are relatively consistent. I, I don't think, there's, a, I don't think there's any one style film. No. No, no film is actually really bad. There's yeah. just some that are just... Thor, Love and Thunder is very close to... Not being at the bottom, but it's near that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just, it is just a bit inconsistent and a bit of a mess. And yeah. if it wasn't for the bits of humour that I enjoyed, like you said, with the sort of X and the um, the current, like part with the hammer and yeah, stuff, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. funny. Um, I don't particularly think anyone's fantastic in it. Christian Bell really doesn't get enough to do, does he? Um, I think he could have been. I think yeah. I think somewhere on the cutting floor there is probably yeah. a good villain. I, I, but, I mean, everyone knows that a lot of actors do this for a paycheck, and that's fine. But Christian Bell is a fantastic actor, and he actors are still like there's not many actors in the MCU who feel like they're like phoning it in. People at least they try and give it their all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bale is like we all know is such a good director. Uh, sorry, actor <laughs> that you kind of wish you'd seen more of him and allowed him to chew on the character a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's fantasy. I know it's a bit um, silly to a lot of people. But when people commit to a role, it's nice to see. Yeah, yeah. And while I think he was committed, he just doesn't get enough time. No. And it's it is a bit of a mess, really. So it it's a. Th- very low three for yeah, me, yeah. I think. Well, it was verges on two for me. Do you know what? Just, just just to say one more thing, to end this discussion about Thor on a on a positive note, yeah. I just wanted to mention the sort of the visuals of the film as well. Yeah. It does something that a lot of Marvel films don't do, which is play with the visual. So particularly colour. The yeah. film is so bright and so colourful. And then you get to... It's not eternity that the colour goes, but wherever gore is. Oh, because, the shadow realm. Yeah. Something what, like that. And all the colour goes, but there's there's sparks of colour when Thor tries to do something and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. I think that's all re- visually very interesting, and I don't yeah, think I've yeah. seen a Marvel film do something like that. Yeah, yeah, so, like actually use it as it, a story thing. Yeah, you know, um, something I think Watiti as a director, one of the reasons why I think he's a good but not a great director is because his visual storytelling, like he's very exposition heavy. He doesn't. I, I think. Um, Jojo Rabbit is a good example of visual storytelling. It's a little bit on the nose. Yeah. Um, you know, without spoiling it, there's mm. stuff to do with shoes and feet that are sort of... Yeah, that's fantastic. That is really, really good. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. But it's really good to see him... Like, if you look back at even something like... I love Hunt for the Wilder People. I think it's probably his best film. I don't know if... I, it doesn't do anything like that. It doesn't... No. doesn't do anything that really expands his sort of directorial talent outside no. of... 
I do think he's probably a stronger writer than he is director. Not to say he's not a good director, because I mean, he, just, yeah, yeah. he does. The, he is the films. He, yeah, they're yeah, his yeah. films. Yeah, and I do like a lot of his. I know, I know we are planning to do a bigger discussion on Taika Waititi, so it's probably yeah, not yeah, best. We'll say, we'll say we'll probably best not to go into it too much. But yeah, I think you're right with Thor. I think it's nice to see that thing with the color, but um, I think this one had too much of a focus on trying to be funny rather than actually just being uh, yeah a quality film, basically. So let's talk about the probably the not the biggest one of the year but certainly the time it literally just like swept the world didn't it? and it does every time a new season comes out and that's Stranger Things 4 oh yeah um, now I love Stranger Things I've always been of the opinion when I watch I watched the first season obviously when it came out and I've just done that with every season when it's come out it's been great I do forget about it really quickly so yeah. when, when I needed that recap just to remind me of what's yeah, happened yeah, yeah. but I loved I, they the first season I think is fantastic and I think they've very much played into what they know works with like the nostalgia and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but, you know, season four, while it is a little bit self-indulgent in terms of like, you know, with the episode length of the last yeah, two episodes, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. which is... Oh, it just feels unnecessary to me. I just feel like you could have split that into multiple episodes. There's multiple times in both of the episodes. I was like, this could be a good cliffhanger. Yeah. And then still an hour left of the episode. And it's like, why don't... Yeah. Just do that, and then because yeah. anyway. like I know it's I know it's still if you change it into episodes, it's still like the same time. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, when you have the episodic structure, it gives you an opportunity to finish it. Yeah, do something else if you want. You know, yeah, reflect yeah, yeah. On it. To, to to break up, yeah. to break it up instead yeah. of watching a two and a half hour episode that's longer than most fucking films. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's a bit stupid. But no, I really do like this season. Um, I know actually, I mean, this year actually you've watched all of Stranger Things. I, I hadn't seen time. any, yep. I had seen a couple of season four of Stranger Things spoilers and I'd been meaning to watch it for a while. But as I've said many times before on this podcast, I'm bad at watching TV. Yeah, me too. So yeah, me too. I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And you know what? Season one is great. Season two is pretty meh. Yeah. It's very, very forgettable. Season three, I actually really enjoyed. And I think season yeah. four is great too. Something I should say actually before we talk a little bit more about season four is... We've been teetering around, teetering around spoilers for other shows. Yeah. It's impossible to talk about this series without talking without, about yeah. the spoilers because, uh, uh, you know, stop listening now if you haven't seen season three or four. Hopper doesn't die in season three. Yeah. That's the whole thing I was going to say because for me, where I struggled the most with season four was actually with Hopper. So before, I've actually quite enjoyed him being in it. I think Hopper's always been a confusing character for me because the show feels like it wants to have its cake and eat it with him yeah, where he yeah. he whereas steve so i think they're quite yeah. interesting to compare steve is a dick at the start of the series yeah, is, yeah. by season four he's the best fucking thing in the show yeah definitely. yeah him and my hawk's character are the best thing hmm. hopper does is a dick but he doesn't redeem himself in the way that steve does steve is constantly trying to be a better person after season one whereas i don't think hopper quite does that and that's what i mean by trying to have his cake and eat it is that it still wants him to be yeah uh it wants him to be redeemable but a bad guy but uh, i don't know yeah. but all the stuff with him in russia is so oh my god there's bits in it that i think are cool but fuck me does it drag it out like it, it felt more like they needed something for hopper and uh winning riders character yeah and, yeah, yeah. Um, Joyce, yeah. Yeah, Joyce to do, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Well, the issue I have is that when you, obviously when you're watching a TV show, you have characters that you're drawn to, you have characters that you're a bit like, meh. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I find Eleven a bit meh. Yeah. Like, 
The it, car- it's she weird. just puts her hand up and goes, ah, and then yeah. the season and ends. she gets yeah. a nosebleed and passes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like, it's weird in this season because they seem to have separated the characters I don't care about yeah. and then get, put all the characters that I love into one. So one of them, those bits are fantastic because yeah, yeah. you've got, you know, um, uh, Dustin, D- Steve, yeah. Nancy and all that. And then obviously Eddie Munson. Oh my Joseph God, he's Quinn. so good. One of the best. So like, the best new character. He's yeah. so good. And then you've got all these doing that. They're like, there's, there's comedy and there's like action and stuff. It's yeah. fantastic. Then you go to the stuff with Eleven and Mike oh my god I fucking hate Mike yeah, like, do you know what up until like, this point yeah. I've not liked Mike that much but I thought he was fine this season he just really annoyed me as I'm done yeah. I'm done with him but you've got all the stuff with him and um, uh, what's the other guy called Will Will thank you yeah. yeah you've got all the stuff with him and Will which I think is interesting but it's only interesting because of Will you know yeah it is um, yeah. Will, yeah Will is but, the most interesting story in that yeah do you know what something that I thought is really, really good about Stranger Things, I think a lot of TV doesn't do, <clears> is that it feels like it's constantly moving to the finish. Which yeah, sounds kind of yeah, weird, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. the show's always, it feels like it's culminating. Mm. Every season feels like it's, it feels, I don't know how to describe it, but like, like it's not like season one, that's cool. Season two, that's cool. It's all one connected. Yeah, you feel like there's still a connection between all of them that's and, coming towards this like huge epic ending. Exactly. And I know most shows kind of do that, but it just doesn't do it in the way that I feel like this does. Yeah. It kind of feels like they're constantly going over these hurdles, but it's not like, okay, well, that villain's done. Here's another villain. That villain's done. Yeah. Here's another villain. Because it all feels like it's building. Yeah. Like you've done that villain, but you like in the first one, you obviously had the Demogorgon, but that was just one that just happened to break through at the start. Yeah. And then for two seasons, you have the Mind Flayer. Mm. And then by the fourth one, you've reached the big bad yeah. and i just feel like this whole time it's like it's like it's like the 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 evil is building with how they find everything out do you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah. i was about three episodes in and yeah. uh i saw it was like a tweet that said like um max nancy and uh robin absolutely steal this yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. which i don't just not just them I mean, yeah steve yeah. and dustin and eddie, yeah, eddie yeah. munson will forever be like favorite characters, but yeah. I have to say, Sadie Sink actually like fully ups the ante. She's, she's so, so good. good. She's like, so. Good. I think everyone's good in it performance wise, but they're just yeah. very good at playing their characters. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. the one who actually kind of comes out, and you're like, shit, she's a very good actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and like, I mean, I know she's in that new Darren Aronofsky film with Brendan Fraser, isn't she? Whale. The whale. Um, yeah. I'd love to go. And, I mean, I can't wait to watch it purely yeah. for Brendan Fraser, obviously. Yeah. And then yeah, also, Brendan. <laughs> and also Sadie Sink. She's absolutely fantastic in that. Absolutely. And I, like I said, everyone's good in it. Yeah. I think, but in this season in particular, she absolutely stands. Hundred percent. And there's, do you know what? I'd seen the stuff. You know the bit in the graveyard where she gets lifted up. I'd seen clips of that before. I'd, but I still got goosebumps watching it. Yeah. I don't know it's how the they. Kate do- Bush song. I'm telling I, you, that's absolutely, what it's absolutely. Like. But no, they. they I. I mean, they just. I don't know quite how they do it, but um, the Duffer Brothers have this way of making like movie magic. Yeah. Do you know what it's I mean? That's what like, it feels like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because that scene, as I say, I had seen it before. It still gave me goosebumps watching it, the way she gets lifted up. Yeah, it's yeah, crafted. Yeah. So, and then when they use Master of Puppets, that whole sequence is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's so it's, good. It's juxtaposed with Eddie playing it and then, then being chased by the fucking uh, demo bats or whatever they're what called. Is. And then... 
Uh, Max in the house trying to run away from um, Vecna. There you go, yeah. That's going Victor then. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be funny. But yeah, like him, uh, her running away from Vecna in the house and stuff like that. There's just lots of things going on, lots of moving parts in that sequence I think are awesome. And those aren't just the two sequences in the series, not even just season four, but like the whole series has these moments that are like capture that thing, which is really, really hard to encapsulate why it works so well it just does work you know like i said i think i've always had this thing about stranger things but i think that's just because of how i consume tv and Mm. uh, film is that i just i watch something and i'm just like right next what's next yeah it's like a military operation (laughs) um but this season has stayed with me more i think just because of how epic it's been you forget like stranger things is like just crazy big isn't it yeah, yeah. like i always forget that and uh no I, I wouldn't say this has been my favorite season but it's definitely been up there i think it's fantastic yeah yeah for sure. um like i said it's a bit self-indulgent uh but i think they've said what that the season five's not going to do that They're gonna yeah yeah, all, yeah which is great i'm very excited for it it does seem like it's a strange idea to make the because i think they're only doing one more season i think doing five seasons it does seem like a strange idea to make the penultimate season the one with the weird episode structure yeah it seems you know like a last season kind of thing to it do, does it? yeah but maybe maybe they were planning on doing it for five i don't know if that's and... because obviously you know when they reach um and this is what you say like everything seems to be heading to one direction i don't know if this because in this season obviously where they took that little break where you had to wait like a few days before the next yeah, episode yeah. is that obviously like big reveal yeah, yeah. um there's a little bit like yeah okay we get it um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. like they do that and then you know from that point that like because at the time there's obviously these two different stories going yeah, on yeah. they've now connected yeah, yeah. And now you know that these next two episodes they're gonna be epic but like, they're gonna be connected and it's gonna be massive there's, there's a lot that comes to a head in it yeah. I, I didn't mind that i didn't mind the split no, i no. think that was actually quite clever but yeah. as i say those last two episodes are a bit too yeah. long great to watch them like yeah. very entertaining but still a bit like why did yeah. you need to do that really yeah uh, but no, such a good season of TV, and I, like we've but we've said multiple times on this, and like you've even said that we just don't watch that much TV. Yeah. So it's actually been quite refreshing this year to try and focus on a bit more TV. Hundred percent. Yeah, and also I, watch films at the same time because they're different different ways of like I get really impatient watching TV shows because I want to get to yeah, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but it's actually been really nice and quite refreshing to watch these shows this year. Yeah. So. I was actually going to use that to then talk about um, Rings of Power. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, um, uh, which is this Amazon Prime, most expensive TV show ever made now. They spent a billion dollars and they're going to make five seasons or something. Mental. Um, Absolutely mental. And you can feel it going for it. So am I right in saying you've only seen one episode so far? I've watched the first episode, yeah. Okay, so what did you think of that? And then, because I've seen four. At the moment, this is, as we're recording this, Thursday the 22nd of September. So the fifth episode's coming out tomorrow. So the fifth episode will be out by the time this podcast is released. But what did you think of the first? I think, so I really liked the first episode I think it's going to be... Um, we know where we stand on the Lord of the Rings, the films. Yeah. They are our favourites. I'm literally got two tattoos yeah. of Lord of the Rings on me. I'm yeah. a fucking nerd. Yeah, you're a fucking nerd. <laughs> um, they are our favourites. We They are like like just one of a kind in terms of storytelling in film. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't think it'll ever be done again. So if you come into this thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to see it. It's not the same level. No. Um, it does feel more like it's edging towards Hobbit. But I still enjoyed it because I like the world. It's a bit slow because it's obviously introducing brand new things to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, because I've only watched the first episode, the main thing I got was 
the pace, like the introduction of a lot of people yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Introduction of characters we know, but they're younger and stuff like that, different actors and stuff. And obviously with it being a completely different world, you're trying to learn their names and yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But it's it was good. I had I felt like I was watching Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um and I was enjoying it. I, I'm very excited to watch the rest. I just they are they, just, they're all over an hour answer. long. Yeah. All about an hour and ten yeah. minutes long. So yeah, it's exactly. quite a lot of TV to watch. But yeah, no, I agree. Um it's interesting watching all four now because I've written my review. Hopefully it's coming out tomorrow for in time for episode five. But um you know, as a Lord of the Rings nerd, I've read most of the books surrounding the law. I've read yeah. the books that this is based off of. It drastically changes a lot of the law, which I know a lot of people are complaining about. Yeah. Those people should just shut the fuck up. I don't care. The, the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbits films drastically change from the books. Yeah. yeah. Don't hear anyone complaining. Well, you, you hear people complaining about some of the changes in the Hobbit, but the Lord of the Rings films are drastically different from the books. Yeah. Don't hear people complaining about that. But anyway. Mm. The, the these I think is really really interesting it's doing something really really interesting so for those who like Lord of the Rings that's set during the third age this is set during the second age yeah. and you have a recap at the start like you do with every Lord of the Rings based thing of Galadriel telling you yeah, yeah. how you got to where you are so she covers pretty much the entire first age of the elves coming into the world and then them being happy in Valinor which is this place where they live far far out west that normal mortals can't get to Morgoth comes along and destroys their trees of light. Um, and then the great war between the elves and Morgoth. They have to go to Middle-earth to try and defeat the evil. They kill um, Morgoth. They think they've defeated the evil. In the process, Galadriel's brother died. Yeah. And she doesn't believe the evil's gone. She thinks it's in hiding. Just so, sorry to cut you up. So Morgoth was the evil. Yes. And- so, so, Mor- so Sauron was so Sauron's Morgoth's lieutenant. Right. Yes. That's so, so, it, yeah. so in this is something I was going to say about the series is that Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit both do this thing that I love about it, which is it's after all of the grand epic right, yeah, yeah. scales. It's something I talked about in the review that this is the darkest time for the men. This is where men are at their absolute weakest. You know, they don't have a king in Minas, in Minas Tirith. They have Denethor, the steward. And that's something that they talk about yeah. as well, that this is the weakest they've ever been. The elves are leaving Middle-earth. There's hardly anything left. The dwarves yeah. have been decimated. Um, you, the whole of Middle-earth is fractured. And the only thing that can save them is these cute little hobbits that right. don't know anything about the outside world. But this is all after these enormous great battles have happened. Mm. And this is this is when many of those great battles do happen. So the end of this age, the end of the Rings of Power, should be when the elves and the men fight Sauron on Mount Doom and destroy oh, Sauron. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's so in, in the law, but as I said, they're changing quite a lot, so it might not be. But in the law, that that is when the second age becomes the third age. Right. Is when Sauron's destroyed and you know, pretty much all of his armies are, are destroyed. And then just for anyone who cares, when he is truly destroyed in the end of Lord of the Rings and the entirety of Mordor is completely wiped out, that's the end of the third, the start of the fourth age. Right, okay. There's a Loads of brand, but the thing is, Phil's releasing it as all of the rings uh, audiobook soon. Uh, yes, that sounds like I'm, I'm jumping, but the series has to do a lot of that. So it's yeah. one of the things I've said about it. It has a very slow pace. Um, I think that's good and it's bad because as I just I just dumped all this shit on you, but yeah, the yeah. the show has to do that as well. Not just mm. because there's new people watching it, but it's retelling the story in a different way. Galadriel wasn't this battle hardened 
um, no, no, warrior no. in the books. She, like as I said to someone recently, in this age, in the second age, she was just walking through the woods giving people advice. That would be very boring to watch on TV. She's I don't in- know. <laughs> no, well, I think she's into. I think this yeah. is an interesting character because you're going to watch her go from this battle hardened. You know, um, she's very headstrong. Yeah. She hasn't got the wisdom that the Galadriel and Lord of the Rings has. You're going to watch her go from that to her, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the same with Elrond. Elrond is not a battle-hardened no. warrior. He is a politician. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully we're going to watch him go from that to the Elrond we see defeat um, Sauron in Mount Doom. And I think the show, the four episodes in, we've barely got the main narrative started. Yeah. But I think it's doing the thing that we were saying that Stranger Things does. It has this greater goal in the end. Yeah, so you know it's leading somewhere. Amazon, as I say, Amazon have apparently commissioned five seasons and it feels like it's not going to be, here's season one, there's your arc. Here's season two, there's your arc. Here's season... It feels like yeah. it's going to be, this is just 50 episodes or whatever it's going to be. Uh, there, there's your entire arc from season one yeah, yeah. to season five. It feels like that, which means the start is bloody slow because it has to introduce loads of stuff to you. Yeah, of I course, mean, yeah. we get, but that isn't to say I haven't loved things in it so far. I think my favorite thing, which you haven't got to yet, is the dwarves. Mm. You meet Durin and his wife Deza. So yeah. Durin is he's in he's the prince of Kazadum, which obviously we later know as Moria. Right. So there's this, there's this, and you meet him and his wife and their kids, and it does this thing that the dwarves. I've always loved about the dwarves. What do dwarf kids look like? Very short, <laughs> very very short. I'm just trying to and picture it. Elrond's there with them, yeah. and it's so funny because they're fucking <laughs> tiny. Um, but yeah, um, I, something that I loved about I've always loved about the dwarves is that they've always felt this need in Lord of the Rings. This is they've always felt this need to prove themselves to other people, not to be underestimated because they're so sure. I think elves and orcs and stuff, they oh, that's fucking dwarves, whatever. But they are incredibly tough and they're incredibly hardy. But in their hearts, they are such sweet souls. And the scenes between Durin and Deza and when Elrond's visiting and their kids, they are just they capture that sort of. Um, light-hearted, tender magic that I think the Lord of the Rings captures, where I think The Hobbit yeah, sometimes had, but it really struggled yeah. with it. Yeah. I think it's captured a lot between them. But there's lots of darker things going on too, because Elrond's going to meet Durin to... They have these, the elves have these plans to start a new forge and all this other stuff. But the dwarves are very untrusting. They don't know really what's going on. They think there's a lot going on behind the scenes. So they're... Yeah. trying to work their own plan in and stuff. There's lots of moving parts with them that I think so interesting. They're all so dynamic. But as a fan of Lord of the Rings, you also know what their fate's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, which there's this there's this whole undertone, if you've watched Lord of the Rings, of tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Because you know where a lot of this is going to end up. Yeah. We eventually get introduced to Numenor, which is... The great kingdom of men, you know, the, the most impressive kingdom of men there's ever been, the line that Aragorn descends from. Um, you meet Elendil, who is the king who gets killed in Mount Doom, gets a skull crushed by Sauron. Right, and yeah. you meet his son Isildur too, who are, you know, yes, Aragorn's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ancestors. We meet all of them, and there's this just there's just this. I think it's balanced so well of this, just this undertone of pure tragedy because you know where it's a wedding. Mm. You know, 
And I think it's done really, really well because you're getting so attached. And I think they're all really well written, really well fleshed out so far. Yeah. Uh, but you're like, oh, I, well, I'm going to cry when when I know <laughs> what, when, when what happens at the end. I'm probably going to cry. I think as a TV show, it's important it does that. I know, like... Your connection to Lord of the Rings is, you know, greater than a lot of people. Yeah, um, I've, just, I've just, um, I'm like, uh, that wasn't me just stopping you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've just, but I've just like, talked for like in fifteen um, minutes, but because like, I obviously love Lord of the Rings, it's, but I don't have a connection to like the lore and the world as much as you do because mm. mine is purely the Lord of the Rings books and then the Lord of the Rings films, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. hold very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the important thing is. Does it do the same thing as the films do? Which the first episode doesn't do as well, but I know it's got a lot more content to build on, is that I'm hoping that it it kind of like gently just places you in the world and you it's like it's like I don't know how to describe it. It's like the world is so vast, uh, but it's so intoxicating as a viewer yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're hoping that TV show does the same. But I know that I can't, I, I got, I, you know, I felt like I was there in Middle Earth and stuff. Like I felt, I was very happy I was watching it, mm. but it was the first episode. So, you know, it's setting stuff up. It takes up. some time. Yeah. So it takes some time. And that's why I'm hoping when I watch it and as a TV show, it has the ability to take time to do this. I am an impatient TV viewer, <laughs> but I will be patient with this one because I love the world. So, you know, I'm just really hoping that when it comes to me finishing it or, yeah. you know, actually watching the next three episodes. Yeah. Um, that I'm like sort of like gently placed with all these characters and I become attached to them because you were very clearly already attached to them. Yeah, yeah. The TV show has made you even more attached because almost because of this like thin line of tragedy. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is good. It's a, it's a question of like the one billion is that not is it worth it, but you, I feel like they're going to have to draw new people in. I know Lord yes. of the Rings has such well, a huge, like the Middle Earth, these stories have such a huge following. Yeah. You have to think that Amazon are hoping well, to draw new people in. Do you know what's interesting is I saw something, and I can't, I can't remember who it was who was saying it, but someone was saying that there's talk within the industry that Amazon have been trying to look for extreme mainstream success, something yeah. like Stranger Things, for a while now. Yeah. They've tried it with uh, The Boys and yeah. uh, some of their other series. I can't think of any the other. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. I can't remember the other big Amazon series because they haven't got that mainstream success. No. So apparently what people are saying is, this is Amazon swinging for the fences. If this doesn't work, if Lord of the Rings doesn't capture the mainstream success that they're wanting, apparently they're going to start cutting back on what they're doing for prime originals oh, wow. because they're like, we're going to throw everything at it. And if this doesn't get the mainstream success we want, which is, they can sh- have, I mean, they can probably afford to do that. Um, and I think it yes. will be, I think it will be a huge success. I hope it? so. It absolutely. I, hope so. Will, I think, I, but I, I keep seeing things about people complaining that, you know, there was a, a lot of backlash about them changing all the characters and they're doing all this different stuff for the law and things like that. So the law nerds are complaining. I've seen people say that, four episodes in it hasn't changed their minds but also it we're four we haven't finished the season yet of course you're not going to change anyone's minds until you finish the season i don't think you're going to change anyone's people, minds people like that are just like they're so hard-headed I, about their views though they're just people anyone who's star wars yeah lord of the rings marvel well, now i'd love to know what their reaction was four episodes into the first game of thrones yeah For, what, do you reckon by the by four episodes in of game of thrones they were yeah, gone yeah. this is going to be the best tv show i've ever watched yeah, yeah. No, 
no, because you're four episodes in. You yeah, know, you give it watch. a chance. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. And I don't think it's perfect. I think it teeters between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings in terms of yeah. where it's capturing the magic and where it doesn't. It has that visual, visual glossiness that's in The Hobbit that I don't like that much. Well, I, I said to you before as well, something that I think The Hobbit does, particularly with its CGI, even when the CGI is meant to be, and the visuals are meant to be grimy and dirty, like in Lake Town, yeah. I don't think it feels grimy and dirty. No, it doesn't. It no. feels glossy. I think most of it succeeds in, like when it's supposed to be grimy and dirty, like there's a bit with the Gladwell brother in the first episode, yeah. when he's in a battle and he's like screaming and then the camera comes out. And that felt, Dirty because it's raining, it's muddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's orcs everywhere. That felt like it captured a bit of that. Yeah. But there are some times when, like, there's, a, there's, a, there's. I, I can't remember exactly the sequence, but you get this really cool wide epic shot, and then like two or three scenes later, you get Arandir, who's the elf in the Southlands. Yeah. In the Watchtower with the guy yes. who's like the head of his yeah, watch, yeah, yeah. and it's the most CGI thing I've ever seen. It, and it just took me out. It's like literally like five minutes ago, you had these sweeping, incredible, epic shots, and then it's just like super CGI. And it's yeah. like... Well, you, you got to hope that, because you know, like the first um, Lord of the Rings films, it's like, there's such a great balance of like amazing filmmaking, set making, yeah, and then with the CGI backdrops, that the set yeah, making yeah. actually takes over. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. in The Hobbit, the CGI feels at the forefront constantly yeah 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 and i know what you mean that particular scene where they're in the watchtower that is just like i mean they're at the top of a watchtower i do get it but it is just i feel like there could be a way to either don't set it at the top of the watchtower or you know if i can do it you could do it at the top of a real hill looking over and i think you'd get the same thing i just i think i think there's bits that really i really like about it and bits i really don't like about it I know I've opened up a lot here. I've just completely fucking splurged, but you can read my review, hopefully tomorrow. Um, It'll be out by the time this podcast comes out, which I go into a lot more detail about a lot of specific specific things that I liked and disliked. But we should stop talking about Lord of the Rings because there are other things we have seen in this time. Yeah, but there's more films. I mean, it's been, what, like, since our last review show, I think we were talking, it's been nearly, what, like, nine months? Nine nine months, months. yeah, yeah. So... A baby could have been had in that time. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, me and Phil, we've been talking a lot about these TV shows we've watched, and it's been a good year for TV, but let's get back to the good stuff. That's why we're here. Films. Pornographic (laughs) films. Pornographic films. (laughs) Real at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Real after dark. So, Phil, what else have you been watching? Nothing. Nothing. No, absolutely I, nothing. I watched one that came out very recently. Well, I actually talk about a recent film. Yeah. Uh, it's called Do Revenge. Yes. Which is starring Maya Hawke mm-hmm. and Camilla Mendes. <sighs> this film is odd. It's called Do Revenge because basically at the start, my hawk moves to potentially Miami yeah. and then meets Camilla Mendez's character. They go to this boarding school. Everyone there is got rich parents. Apart from Camilla Mendez's character, she's there on a scholarship, her mum's a nurse. She's working really, really hard, but she's very much one of the mean girls type characters. Her and her group yeah. are the cool kids of the school. Um, very, very early on... Her boyfriend asks her to send uh, a video and the he, well, he he might leak it, he might not leak it, it gets leaked. He says no, she says yes, and then meets my hawk and my hawk's like, oh, this person who runs the fucking school farm for some reason. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> she was the person I first came out to 
Right. And then told the school, told everyone at camp or whatever it was that uh, I was a predator and I tried to kiss her and forced her on the ground. Right. And then I had to like, you know, she ruined my life with her. And then the film becomes about them doing each other's crimes for them, essentially. Right. No one knows they're connected. So Camilla Mendes is going to ruin this farm girl and my hawk's going to ruin the boyfriend. And there's a few twists and turns on the way. For about an hour, this film is the most generic thing you've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. And then some things happen... And like about 45 minutes in, you're like, how the fuck is there any film left? This is where it, like, it should finish. Yeah. And then some stuff gets revealed and you're like, oh, okay. And then, I don't know, the film just kind of dips and dives and it's fucking all over the place. Right. It's all over the place. It's messy. The ending is like, I don't know, it's like, like, it's like I was saying earlier uh, about Strange Thing, it feels like it wants to have its cake and eat it. Yeah, it yeah. wants the, the good ending. But really, so much shit has happened, it doesn't make any sense for it to end in the good way that it does. Mm. And so many motivations for the characters make zero sense. You know, after I finished watching it, I was just thinking that middle-aged people should stop writing films about teenagers. You could very easily write this about university-age people or college-age people in America. And it would be so much better because you wouldn't have all the stuff where they're trying to make it a teen film, even yeah. though it's... Because it's not aimed at teenagers because there's a bit in it... The, the best person in it is Sophie Turner. Right. And uh, really early on, Camila Mendes gets uh, kicked out of the um, uh, the clubhouse, the like badminton or whatever it's tennis club because she basically frames her for doing coke wow. and there's a bit where Sophie Turner's screaming you insufferable cunt at her. <laughs> and it's great Sophie Turner is absolutely unhinged in this she yeah. has the best scenes but apart from that the film is super forgettable it's well it's not I don't know it's not even forgettable because it's really bad yeah it's lots of it's really crap and it just memorable but for a bad reason yeah for a bad reason and I just I don't know it's just it's the whole thing is completely unnecessary. Because I've read it for a couple of reviews. I mean, it's obviously just one of those, it's like a Netflix film. It will come and yeah, go, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same as the one I watched recently, I Came By. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a thriller that is just really uneven. It's just, yeah, forgettable. I've seen a few people uh, review Do Revenge and they've compared it as if it's trying to be Heather's. Would that is that a fair comparison? As in, it's trying to tonally be a bit like Heather. I guess so, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting. I'd be interested to watch it to see if there's any kind of like comparison there. I think but so. I imagine I'll probably be disappointed. But anyway, what's that, what's anything else you've watched? Yeah. <laughs> anything else? I tell you what, I'll, I'll come to your level because I can see you're a bit annoyed about that. I'll yes. talk about a movie that God it annoyed me so much. So this is uh, it was where the crawdads sing. Yeah. So I'm new to this whole thing of bit like it probably started with doom you know went out of my way to read the book and obviously i've been reading a bit more um and my girlfriend recommended this to me i read it fantastic book it sold like 12 million things and you know like um when when a film comes out it's based on a book you're gonna have a select few who um they want to watch it because it's based on the book the sole draw to this film is if you've what if you've read the book um, and I can tell you now, you will be so disappointed. And it, not just as an adaptation, as a film itself, it is just so, it's angry, like just made me so angry. Because, so the, the book is about this girl who lives in the marshes in North Carolina. She's 
uh, a family end up abandoning and they're like kind of one by one. Mum goes because her dad is aggressive and a drunk. Mm. Okay, then Kit, uh, her siblings then go and then it's her and her dad for a little bit and then he fucks off. Um, and then she kind of, you know, it's about this resiliency that she has living in these marshes and it's a coming of age story. That's that's the story. But then it's kind of cross-cut with this murder mystery in that um, one of the characters uh, is... Uh, found dead and they believe it's murder so they blame Kaya who's the Marsh girl um, and f- so in the book she's like very it's very much like cross cut between that and it's very good because it's more about her rise as you know on her own you know resiliency and all that resourcefulness um, but in the film it obviously thinks that the murder mystery is the more interesting part of it so it does that and then it kind of flutters between these like really half arsed uh, really super Hollywood looking things of like romance and stuff like that. All the stuff, all the good stuff, the coming of age stuff, it's completely missing. There's threads, like I'm not going to be full like book nerd and be like, oh, they didn't do this, they didn't do this, <laughs> they didn't do this, but it's just a bad adaptation. They're focused on the part of the story that is less interesting, but they think it's going to be more like enticing to an audience that's got a murder mystery you know it's got like romance and love and all this and it's yeah it's not great the only good thing about it is daisy edgar jones mm. she plays okay. kaya and so as an actress she's like i don't i've never i'm not really watched her in much i know she became big because of normal people mm-hmm. um but She's got this fantastic way of expressing stuff through her eyes. Mm. Uh, so, like, obviously, Kaya, who's grown up basically as like a hermit in this like um, wasteland, mm. uh, she when she does interact with people, she's unable to express herself. And Daisy Edgar Jones is so good at every emotion. You can see it in her eyes, and you can feel it. And she is by far like. The only reason to watch the film. Mm. Uh, but other than that, it's a soppy mess that just has weird tonal shifts. And yeah, it made me very angry. But Daisy Edgar Jones, I, she's got a very bright future. I'm very excited to watch good. her and other stuff. I'm glad that she's good in it at least because yeah, yeah. I like her. But um, I always got the impression, I haven't read the book and I'm, I haven't watched the film. I probably won't watch the film, but I'm definitely going to read the book. I got the impression from what you were saying there and then from other reviews yeah. that it took what was surface level in the book. Yes. And made a film out of that without any of the depth or complexion of what made the book so good. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think the thing about her, it being a coming of age story, that's quite, it's quite subtle. It doesn't say she is coming of age. Yeah, it's yeah. like she's going through these experiences. She's growing up and she's, you know, falling in love. She's uh, becoming a stronger person for it. And then it's kind of like really nicely broken up by this like, did she do it? Didn't she do it? Mm, mm. And um, I just think like the movie decided actually no, what's going to entice people more to a cinema is the murder mystery and the romance. Mm. The romance is horrible. Like it, it, she, it's really nice things, uh, like really nice connections she makes with people mm. and they're really um, well done in the book. But then when you do it in the film, it's just so fleeting. Like, you, don't mm. give a, you don't give a crap about anything that's happening. And it's just, it's a very sad thing. And it's kind of the reason why I just don't want to read books that are then made into films for the soaring disappointment that I felt when I watched this. Like, Dune was amazing. So I don't, (laughs) that was a good start. But um, yeah, I don't, 
like it's very new to me doing that kind of thing where I'm like the sole reason I want to watch this film is because I've read mm -hmm. the book. I've literally don't think I've ever done that other than Dune this year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it was a it was a different viewing experience actually because you're getting angry while you're watching it. <laughs> you aren't just it's not like if we watch a bad film you kind of like yeah this is a bit shit maybe it's something is gonna be, but it's almost like you know they fucked up yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. early. Yeah, they're not gonna get to the good bit yeah. because they're not doing the good bit. Yeah, the and it's yeah. it's pretty frustrating. But yeah, that's that's, shame. that's I, you know I wanted to reach your level there. You know, I wanted to get well, let's get the negative out of the way and talk about some more. I was gonna say, can I get? Well, I've got one really good thing that I want to talk about. Can I can I bring us back up? Or Do you have you any more negative? Uh, yes, very briefly, the man from Toronto. Okay, yeah, we'll the, do that first. That's negative. Yeah, have you seen that? I've not seen that. No. Uh, um, Kevin Hart yeah. and Woody Harrelson. Yes. Uh, Kevin Hart accidentally gets mistaken for this, the man from Toronto who's Woody Harrelson, who's this fucking highbrow, murders everyone incredible at it. It's just like, I didn't go in thinking this was going to be great, yeah. but there's there's glimmers of where it's like, this could be a really fun film. Yeah, yeah. It's just so lazily put together. Even like the CGI is really mm. boring. It's so clearly trying to set up a series of films. But it did, you know, when we talked about Red Notice, yeah, yeah, I wanted to like Red Notice, but Red Notice was really lazily put together too. And very clearly just, we're going to set up a series of films here. Yeah. Not trying to make it organic. There's nothing organic about this film. There's a couple of laughs in it. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly just kind of crap. Um, I don't think I've ever really like when you. Th I know Kevin Hart turns out a lot of films. Yeah, yeah. I think I, other than Jumanji, which I wouldn't class yeah, as yeah. a Kevin Hart film, it's yeah. more The Rock but, or Dwayne Johnson. I'll, I'll give you one that I liked. I know it's not perfect by any sense of the mean. It's a very bog standard three star film, but one that I think is what he should be aiming for was Central Intelligence. Yes, yeah. With okay, The Rock, yeah. that it does nothing special. It's an enjoyable watch. And that's all you need from those kinds of films. And The Man from Toronto should have been that. It should have been a silly, enjoyable watch. It just wasn't. It was just crap. It just didn't work at all. Yeah, I don't... Um, yeah, to be fair, Central Intelligence, I, I can watch that. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, to me, I just... I don't mind Kevin Hart. I think he's a funny yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't think he's like catalogue of films these are films that have come out basically since like, what was it like? Did he do The Wedding Ringer with yeah, yeah. Kaylee Kuko or something like that? Um, but like, I... I, I like Jumanji. In Jumanji 2, he's really funny because yeah, he's got to yeah. play... Um, Does he play uh, Danny Glover's character? Yeah, yes. thank you. Yeah, yeah. He, plays, he plays Danny Glover and I think that he's so funny. Yeah, he that. is good. Because yeah. it's different because like Kevin Hart always plays the same character and it yeah. was nice to watch him play something else and do it well and do it funny. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, he's a funny guy but I just think his catalogue of like leading performances in films have not been, they haven't been good films he may be fine in it but he kind of plays Kevin Hart yeah um, so it's it's quite difficult but yeah there's a, a lot of negativity in the air right now <laughs> it might be a chance to move on to something good uh, I'll talk about one um, good or bad here we go it's good nice. we'll start with uh, well I know it's a TV show we both love but the Bob's Burgers movie yeah I've always been intrigued by the when they decide to make a film out of a TV show and I don't mean like obviously an adaptation of One Way Back, things like Get Smart and stuff like that, or Man From Uncle. I think when there's a modern TV show that decides to like finish it all off, you know, six seasons in a movie, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. <laughs> um, one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you heard that they're doing it at the moment. The plan. They, oh my god! I'm a lot excited. of the cast have signed on, and Dan Harmon's basically got the green light to write nice. it. Nice, so. that's great. Talking that's about, community, yeah. yeah. Just, if you didn't know, we assume yeah, everyone that's knows. But yeah. No, so yeah, the Bob Burgers movie. Bob Burgers is such a great TV show, humour-wise, and 
I said this in the review and it stands for the film, is that Bob's Burgers is a family film, but not in the sense where people think, oh, it's for the, you know, it's the kids thing. It's like, it's like, it's family because the humour is based around the family. Um, Bob's humour is very dad-like. It's pun-based. It's stuff like that. The kids' adventures are very kid-like and are just, they're all very absurd. And I love the world as well because everyone's so just imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the film is like, is there a need for it? Probably not. But it doesn't matter because you're getting basically a bigger, like, glossier dosage of the TV show. Um, it's very much like it could just be classed as a bigger episode. Um, and it works. It, it if you, I think you kind of know what you're going to get when you go in. You're getting a big episode of Bob's Burgers. It's <laughs> fantastic. You, you will laugh a lot. Um, it's like, obviously, even the show is loves its original songs. And there is an instant where they go into this like big uh, original song. And I was like, oh, I hope they don't actually make it like a actual musical, you know, where like there's actual like big, they do that, but they also play on the way that, you know, how like if um, uh, Linda breaks into song yeah, yeah, and yeah. then she's like interrupted and stuff like that. It's, it's like, it's the same humor. It's mm -hmm. uh, directed by the creators. And then, I mean, obviously I think it was going to be, Yeah, but no, it's a lot of fun. If you're going to, if you're going to watch anything just to kind of, have a good time. That's the film you should be watching. Do you think it's on... Because I remember when the Simpsons movie came out. Yeah. And the Simpsons movie, I think, is quite fun. I think it's great. But it's way... It was way too past its time. It should have been made a lot... Well, I mean, in terms of the, the length of the Simpsons... I do think... They were very far I think, it. to be fair, this is... The Simpsons movie actually did it when Simpsons were getting a bit tiresome. I yeah, mean, yeah, the, yeah. The... People what say this first like twelve seasons of Simpsons are fantastic. Yeah. Um, but like the movie, I love the movie. I think it yeah. kind of reignites some of that. Bob Burgers doesn't need to do that. People love the show. Yeah. yeah There's yeah. absolutely no need for this movie. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, again, I was gonna say, I, I don't really think, although it reignited for it, it does still feel very in inconsequential as well. Yeah. The Simpsons is it on the same level as that? Do you think? No, not in the inconsequential. I mean, like yeah. in terms of quality of it, it's a big episode, but it works yeah i think it's probably of a similar thing yeah. yeah i think it's of a similar ilk because we get like you said the simpsons episode just feels like a bigger <laughs> like version and this is the same yeah, and in yeah. fact it probably is just feels closer like while simpsons going out of its way to be bigger and uh more like with a bit more scope to it this one really isn't really <laughs> it is just just it literally just feels like a big episode yeah i have no problem with it because like, I mean, I watched it in the cinema. Yeah. It's not the most cinematic film <laughs> in the world either. It doesn't matter. You still yeah, go, yeah. I guarantee, it doesn't even matter if you like the TV show or you've watched the TV show, just watch the film because yeah. you are, you will love it. Yeah. It's so good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm going to keep us on a high here yeah, let's and talk keep about let's keep the, stay the high. Sandman. Yes. Yeah, keep high, stay high. Stay kids. high. Uh, the Sandman, which is a Netflix TV show. It's a Neil Gaiman adaptation. I don't know how much Neil Gaiman adaptations you've seen. I've Fucking loads of them. American Gods. Yeah, there's American Gods. There's um, Good Omens. Good Omens. Beowulf, the like 2007 film. Oh, that's wow, a really? Neil Gaiman adaptation. Wow. Which is not good. His, I think his adaptations from what I've seen, which is not a lot, and I've never actually read any of his books or comics, his adaptations are a bit hit and miss. And I think one of the reasons why is tonally, it's really difficult to capture what I think he's captured in his books. As I said, I haven't read it, but all of his shows seem to have a very similar tone, which is very, very fantasy and almost overly cheesy. 
but in a way that like in the sandman i think it works spectacularly like it, it's about so the sandman in, in question is the dream lord yeah yeah he is one of the endless, which are these beings that control. They have their own realms. You have desire, you have envy, you have death, all those things. It's the same Sandman that's in The Rise of the Guardians. Oh, I haven't seen Rise of the Guardians. Oh, but it's got like Jack Frost, the Easter Bunny, yeah. Santa Claus. Honestly, watch I guess that. so. Yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Go no, watch don't that don't right watch now. the Sandman. Watch <laughs> no, it had to, and he basically, you're following him because um, in the first episode, he gets captured in like 1920 by Charles Dance, who uh, puts him in this, like he figures out how to keep him in a cage because uh, he has one of one of Dream's nightmares escapes. Because nightmares and dreams in the dream world are yeah. physical beings. Right, okay. And one of them escapes and goes to Earth yeah. without permission and tells Charles Dance how to imprison the dream lord in doing so oh, so it's the guy who's in was in narcos was he yeah yeah no, i can't yeah. remember his name yeah he was yeah. in logan was he yeah 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 mm -hmm. and he's really good every mm. literally every single person is good in the yeah. show um and basically it sets off this thing of he's in there for a hundred years in that time the dream uh world completely falls apart a bunch of people fall into this deep sleep and can't wake up yeah uh some of them do naturally some of them don't some of them die in the sleep there's lots of things that happen in that time so it's kind of like um you go from there and then you you only really see in this underground basement where he's kept and then he comes out and there's all this fallout and it becomes about him trying to reclaim his he's got three tools a bag of sand his this mask and something else i can't remember what it is right but all these, so there's, and there's all these moving parts and stuff, but the show itself has this really strange structure that it sounds silly saying it like this, but it has a very episodic structure, which sounds yeah. silly because it's a show. But what I mean by that is every episode feels very insular. There's loose threads connecting them. So the right. first two or three episodes are about him trying to reclaim his tools. And so, so the missing piece, the other bit that I forgot about was the, this gem that David Thewlis through things I won't tell you in case it's spoiler territory, I guess. Mm. Um, he gets hold of the gem and uh, does a few... Th I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain without spoiling it, but every episode does something very unique. So yeah, like he has an end goal of the, yeah, the episode. So there's an episode with Constantine, mm. who's um, played by one of uh, the Doctor's oldest assistants. Um, there's an episode where it's entirely centred around him and death, because there's a lot of, a lot of what the Sandman has to do is change as a being. The, the, this idea that he is endless, he thinks he can't change, but everyone around him is telling him why. Just because you are endless, it doesn't mean that you as a as a being can't, you've changed over these yeah. years. So every episode is a story about how he can change right. as a being. I, I don't want to say as a person, it's not as a person, but as a being. And coming to terms with what's happened in those hundred years and you know all these all these different things. Um, and I think the show is just really fantastic. It teeters on the line of being melodramatic and cheesy. I mean, the guy who plays the Sandman is constantly pouty and is very almost overacting, but it just works. And I can't describe why it works, yeah. but it just does. And it's just really, the whole thing just is such an enjoyable watch. Yeah. I haven't really watched anything like it before. Um, I just think it's really fantastic. There's so many episodes, like, you know, there's, there's an episode that's set in a diner that you just will not know where it's going. You do not know what's happening next. Um, and then the episode with death is 
heartbreaking in so many ways um, as she's basically, you know, she just basically goes up to people and is like, now's your time. And you have to see all these different people's reactions of people who are ready and people who are not ready. Yeah, yeah. And it's heartbreaking, but absolutely fantastic. There's an episode with a guy who um, uh, gets immortality. Right. And him and another one of the endless basically uh, are having a bet that humans can deal with being immortal. And the Sandman doesn't think so. So he meets up with him every hundred years to see how he is. So you get about seven or 800 years of always meeting up in the same pub in London and seeing how things develop over time. And it's just fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And then there's a bonus episode at the end in Split Into Twos. One half's an animation about cats and then the other half is um, something that happens during the 100 years that he's off and then comes back. That has another one of the Doctor's old uh, assistants in it. Right. Um, the guy who plays Rory, whose name I can't remember. Oh, yeah. But um, the, the animation one's fantastic because it shows as well. A lot of what the show says is that the endless appear the way they do because that's how humans want to see them. So in the one with the cats, he appears to a cat as a big cat. That makes and, sense. And yeah, and it's just there's lots of things that uh, the universe feels so fleshed out. Fascinating it did, show. It sounds very uh, Neil Gaiman, I think. Yeah. I don't, uh, also, I mean, if you like that. I haven't watched the second season, and I know it's meant to be not as good, but watch the first season of American Gods as well, because that's a very intriguing. I've read, I think when we were at university together, we I, I actually, when we lived together, I started reading American Gods mm-hmm. out of interest. Yeah. I think I got like halfway through, and at that point, I just was bored of reading stuff. So, But the TV show is really interesting. I think he's a really interesting writer, and he, he's very good at creating these worlds. Sometimes they do... You know, they, there is an element of like cheesiness, like you said, but it's it's about finding that fine line, isn't it? And I know people like Good Omens as well with yeah, uh, yeah. Um, David, David Tennant, Tennant yeah. and uh, Michael Sheen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd be, I'd definitely be interested in watching that. I think. Um, I yeah, think it's, it's you make it sound. Up. I think when I saw the trailer for it on Netflix, there's always that caution when you're watching trailers on Netflix. Some of it looks shit. Uh, it does. I, it's not perfect by any means. Yeah. But I just think. It balances that line. There's no points where I thought it got to cringy. There might be some part, you might find it cringy, but I think it's worth it. Well, I, I mean, I'd be definitely be interested to watch it now. Yeah. I, I think having this structure of very insular stories and like mini arcs that only span mm. two or three episodes, I think is fascinating as well. Yeah. How many episodes is it? Ten. Ten. Plus the 11th bonus episode that is, you and don't a, have to watch it. And a two and a half hour ending episode, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, there's three episodes. They're all six hours long each. No, but so what else have you seen? Because there's a couple other things I think we could touch on really quickly. Yeah, it does get to the stage and because it's been so long, we, we are just, we've seen so much that but we'll... Uh, is there anything um, you think is worth mentioning? I think the highlights for me, I think I'd probably say there's two more. Yeah. One is Nope. Yeah. which is uh, the new film by Jordan Peele, which I've recently obviously wrote the review for, uh, came out of it. It's a divisive film, it seems like. And the way I stand on it now is I think this is a film that right now people aren't going to like it as much. But if you look back at uh, people like Scorsese uh, and stuff like that, there's a film that Scorsese did called After Hours that people genuinely consider to be like a... Uh, it's a masterpiece that yeah, people yeah. just haven't seen enough of. I think Nope will be that film for Jordan Peele. Really? Because while I don't think it's a masterpiece right now, the more I think about it, the more I like the ideas and the more I like 
how it's made. I mean, we've even had a discussion. You've not even seen it. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. had this discussion about one of the threads in it, which so the whole the whole movie feels like it's about spectacle. It's about how we watch something, and it works in the sense that Peel's main story is about these uh, this brother and sister played by Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. Oh yeah. Um, and they run a like a ranch for horses that are in films and then they think that there's something above them that at first they think is a ufo surely when you get a glimpse of it peel's very good at not showing you it it's very spielberg like that mm. um it looks like a ufo but the way it unfolds it's just um it, it's a film that you need to watch again i think i haven't watched it I've only watched it the once and I absolutely now cannot wait to watch it again. Because, mm. So there's a thread in it, isn't there? That's about, it talks about this like TV sitcom folklore horror story that happened about, a, it was a sitcom way back when. Um, Stephen Yeun actually plays the, um, uh, his character was actually the kid on the TV set um, when it happened. And it involves a monkey who kind of lost its shit and <laughs> killed its TV sitcom family. Now, when you watch the film, it's sometimes quite hard to understand that connection that it has to the film, that the like the main story that mm -hmm. Peel's telling. You obviously read something and or watched something that had a really interesting um, idea about it, and I would probably agree. But I, it is it's just super intriguing. Everything. I think when I first came out of it, I was like, I don't really know what I've just watched. <laughs> but it's super interesting. All these ideas start bubbling out and stuff like that. And genuinely, it's you know, the more I think about it, the more I do like it. And I have to say, I think this is his best shot film. And that Get Out is obviously fantastic uh, in that respect. But this one, with the, like I said, with the Spielberg thing, where it's like the less you see of the monster, mm the more terrifying it becomes. And it's a little bit like that. Like the whole thing is eventually like you probably shouldn't look at it. Yeah, yeah. And this whole thing and then like sort of the subtext of just how we see things, how we like watch things, um, it's just, it's super fascinating. Mm. And it's really hard to review. Yeah, I bet. But it is super fascinating. And I think everyone should watch it just out of intrigue, if anything. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I've liked it. Like yeah. when I first watched it, I was like three, three star, because I don't really know what's going on. Then the more I thought about it, it's a four star. Give me two years, it's probably gonna be a five star. <laughs> I don't know. I but, like that, I like growers. Yeah, like that, yeah, and I think it's a film that me and you could happily discuss on this for ages, and we yeah, yeah. We, we know how much well, we I like need, to I talk. I need to watch, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been going on a while, but yeah, yeah I know. I, I do mean, I've been meaning to watch it, I just haven't had time because of work. But yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll be, I think the next two sole review podcasts will probably be Nope and Lord of the Rings when we when that's eventually wrapped yes, up. Yeah, so yeah. I think they'll both be really interesting talking points. But yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that I can talk about the film without having seen well, this it. Is the thing just that, because yeah. I've seen non-spoiler talks about Everyone's it. Everyone's sort of like building opinions on what it's about and stuff like that. Yeah, that's why Peel, Peel is a fascinating director. Definitely, yeah. I, I can't wait to watch anything he does because yeah. it's just, I mean, mm -hmm. I, although I don't love Us, I still think it's a very fascinating yeah, yeah, it's film. Yeah, great. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to bring the tone down a little bit because okay. I was going to talk about the last thing I wanted to talk about was the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, I have we, seen this. Yes, yes, something we have both seen. The Nick Cage film in which Nick Cage plays Nick Cage. Um, this sort of adaptation of himself 
you know, he's divorced, he's running out of money. He's been offered to go to this island in Greece, somewhere like there. I don't know if it even specifically says. It's somewhere like that, isn't yeah. it? I think it may be like somewhere on like the Spanish border or something like that, isn't it? I don't know. Yes, yeah, somewhere like that. He's told, I'm going to pay you, so you, you'll get a million pounds to go to this guy's house. He's a big fan of yours. About a party or something. Yeah. And then he gets there and it's um, Pedro Pascal. And he's this mega fan who loves everything that Nick Cage has done. Um, and I don't know, it's a weird film. It unravels in a very strange way. Yeah. It has twists and turns, I guess, but it's not really about that. It's just, I think there's, I gave it a three star. I think the film thinks it's crazier than it actually is. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. there's a promise of Nick Cage could be super, like Nick Cage is cagiest, is a spectacle to watch, whether yeah. it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. It's usually worth watching to see what the fuck's going on. And there is a bit of that. But there's a lot of not that. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of just teeters up and down. And I don't think it's ever bad. It's just sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's like the bit when they're on LSD or wherever it is. That's so funny, it's isn't it? It's fucking so funny. Yeah. The bit where it's like they're talking about the plot of this film they're writing together. And he's like, oh, you know, like like what if those two guys over there were looking at us? And, and Pedro Pierre Scale's like, are they looking at us? <laughs> and then they just get so paranoid. It's so funny. Yeah, I, don't, uh, I agree with you. I think it thinks it's crazy and it is but the thing is i think it's playing it's really playing off that thing that's like consumed every nicholas cage thing is that nicholas cage has become this like myth like this he just he's the weirdest actor yeah, in the yeah. world and then stuff like that and uh while i've never fully bought into that i do he is a weird ass guy <laughs> like when he performs sometimes but it kind of just depends on the film he's in um but yeah i do think it's playing on that when i watched it in the cinema every like i love the winks to all of his films yeah yeah that's funny Everyone else thought it was very funny. Yeah. And I was, I was like, I don't, it's not that funny. I was like, it is funny. Like, it's a charming, huh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I think the film thinks it's funnier than it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will say that LSD acid scene, so funny. That is great. Amazing. I was crying. It was yeah, so same. funny. Same. Um, Even there's jokes that happen where you know the punchline, but you're still love, love with the wall. Like, you know exactly yeah, what's you know going to happen, but it's, it's still so funny. really funny. And I think uh, Pedro Pascal's really good in that. I think, funny, I think yeah. the best thing about the film is their, like, little uh, budding, like, bromance. They have such good chemistry, they don't do, they? They, they do. do. And the, I think the end of the film, they're like, the film sort of ends in one way and then has, like, a little bit of a sort of epilogue afterwards, mm, I guess. Yeah. And the, the epilogue's kind of fun, but the, the ending before that, I think a lot of that's pretty generic. Like, yeah. the film, as it goes on, it loses its cagey-ness. It's fun in that way. Yeah, I think. it has an element of formula to it, doesn't it, by the end? And I think the one thing I did like, I think, because I think to get Cage on board with this, he obviously is very happy to sort of take the piss. He knows this yeah, career, yeah, yeah. he's cultivated himself. One of the things I did like is when he's, I don't remember exactly word for word, but when they say like, people have been like, oh, you're back. And he's like, never left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's nice because he is, he he is a movie star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been a part of cinema for so long. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice way to celebrate him, but yeah. while also like taking the piss a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, fun. It's but a yeah, fun it's, it's a very yeah. fun film. And I think, yeah, like you said, I think it thinks it's crazier than it actually is. And I think it actually thinks it's funnier than it actually is. Mm. But a lot of it works and it's quite a nice, sweet sentiment to a guy who's been around for so long. Yeah. He's made a lot of crap, I'll give him that. But I... You've got to admit, he is a very watchable actor, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and, and having 
this guy, Pedro Pascal, just completely fawn over him that oh, time. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, let's Batman? let's end it even even on an even more high note, I would say. Well, I mean, that was a three star, so maybe that's not the highest <laughs> note you can end on. Um, yeah, the last one, the, this is the most recent film I've watched. So let's talk about a film that... Basically, this is what the review show should be. <laughs> <laughs> Watching um, recent films. Well, it will be from now on. Yeah, it will be from we'll now keep on. We just had to have a catch-up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's See How They Run, which is the newest like whodunit. Um, a film that very much plays on the ideas of the whodunit. Uh, I think I've, I've recently written a view where um, I can, if you compare it to something like Knives Out, which is such a fresh take on it and just wonderful, it isn't that level. But what it's doing is it's very much uh, attached to like the Agatha Christie. It's set in 1950s. It's uh, in London on the West End. Um, and they are adapting, they're planning to adapt a play of Agatha Christie's, uh, one of her stories. They're planning to adapt that into a film. And the film director, who's played by Adrian Brody, who's sleazy as hell, it's great. Um, he is the victim. And then... Very classic whodunit. Things happen. People are suspects. And then, but it's the whole time it's like cheekily winking at the idea of the whodunit and sort of, and Adrian Brody even sort of narrates it himself. And he's just like, we have all seen a whodunit, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just very fun. Like, it, and it's got this central uh, relationship between Sam Rockwell, who's this like drunk, very tired, very exhausted uh, inspector. And then this, uh, Absolute steals the show. Saoirse Ronan, she plays the um, constable who's like kind of put on the case because there's no one else to be on it. She does this thing all the way through that as soon as she gets a bit of something that sounds like evidence, she's like, you're under arrest. <laughs> and Sam was like, no, no, stop. <laughs> um, they've got great chemistry and it it is it is more about like the journey rather than waiting for this like big Columbo or, um, yeah, what's it called? What's the other one called? Poirot. Like this Poirot where he sort of like sits everyone yeah, down. Yeah. He says, you're the murderer. No, no. Yeah. It doesn't play out quite like that, but it knows the films that it comes from and mm. it kind of respects them, respects that it's a very overdone type of story, mm. but it just kind of plays with you and it plays with that. And I, that's the only way this film could work, I think. Mm. And it does. And I think I said to you, it's visually a, a little bit Wes Anderson, but not quite because mm. Wes Anderson is obviously very distinct, but um, it's never, I don't think it means to be. It's just kind of, how it's uh, laid out, but no, a very very fun film I think, and a great a great story as well. I mean, as it, you know, it, unintentionally or intentionally, it's playing on these tropes and to become a like a, a good who done it itself basically. Mm. So yeah, great film. End it on a high. Go and watch that. You also our review is also up now. So if it you want to, if you want to read. Corey's uh, um, sort of more full-length, yeah, full length, full review. You or can you can just like it. read it and imagine me saying it to you. Should, we, should we do an audio version? <laughs> should, we, should we like do an audio discover version of our? Yeah, and uh, people people have to pay for like other voices for so, fifty pounds. I'll do it as Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it as Kermit the Frog. Yeah, yeah. But That's the to, only voice you can do. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't done it since that one time I successfully oh, yeah. did it like six years ago. I'm still waiting for that. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much for listening to this episode of the review show presented by Real. Uh, we are going to be a lot more regular from now on, hopefully. Um, hopefully. No, we will be. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you can find all of our reviews of pretty much everything we've spoken about today at uh, realreviewing.com. Uh, 
You can find this podcast at anchor.fm slash real reviewing. We're on just about every podcast platform, but you can find all of our previous episodes there. You can find me on Twitter at Philson Wilson. You can find me at Cosp Jord. Uh, I hope to see you next time. Bye. Good goodbye. Good and bye and Guten Tag. That's good morning. <laughs> Thank you.